Dear Lord Jesus, as we are gathered together, a community of believers, every person in this room knows that in a few days we will be celebrating this thing we call Christmas. But Lord, forgive us because we are rushing full on in the society, this culture's way of celebrating this high holy holiday. And we have forgotten the true meaning of it. We have forgotten what it's all about. I pray this morning as we look at two people who, who knew how to celebrate Christmas. I pray, Lord, that their lessons from their lives would impact us. And Lord, even though this last month has been a blur for some of us of things to do and things to prepare, Lord, we still have the opportunity even now, right now, to slow ourselves down, to create the space necessary to fully comprehend and wrap our minds around the incarnation of God being made flesh to dwell amongst us. Lord, I pray that Christmas would come right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. I want to say welcome to those of you who are visiting. A lot of new faces here this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. We have, uh, at UCC, we have said this before, but we want to kind of repeat it. We're okay if things don't go correctly. Uh, It wasn't Brian's fault. We had changed the service round. But Brian, he's such in the zone, you know, he never gets distracted, never goes off on tangents. And uh, he didn't know that we moved the video. Yes, for those of you who know Brian, you'll know that's, that's just a Christmas present. Anyways, um, so thank you so much for joining us at UCC. We think that uh, what happens here is not dependent upon how smoothly it happens. But instead, we believe that when we come together, bumps and all, uh, miscues and all, that God is still glorified. Uh, I want to say welcome to a, spe- a couple of special guests. Uh, Matt Naismith and uh, his wife, uh, Andrea, are here uh, this morning. And they didn't know I'm, uh, I was going to say hello to them. But Matt is the founding pastor of a church plant in Guelph called uh, Church in the Ward. And... Uh, we're going to get to know about Matt for a little bit now, and I'm just excited that he's here. I'm a little bit nervous because he's so cool, and I want his hair, but don't tell him that. Um, but uh, he's here with us this morning. I'm so glad that him and his wife and his little son is able to join us this morning. So how many of you are ready for Christmas? Yeah, three. Come on. No, no one ever is ready for Christmas. Even though you get your Christmas list done in time, the reality is that more is added to it. And don't you hate that moment when someone hands you a gift, and all you're thinking of I didn't get them anything. It's like, oh, thanks. Yours is Amazon. You know how it got. It's, I left. It's, it's, it's coming, right? And you run to the corner store. I bought you five packs of Mentos. That's what I felt because your breath is so. No, um, Christmas is one of those things that everybody approaches it in a different way. And, and I, I got to confess this to you. And, and this doesn't sound like a very odd thing to say. I kind of hate Christmas a little bit. And I don't hate Christmas but I hate what happens to people at this time of year. If you've been in the mall, if you've walked around, it's like, it's like a scene from The Walking Dead. It is just people like, like I gotta buy something. And they're like, they're wandering around the place, just, just, just glass-eyed, and people are bumping into each other. And, and don't even get me started about the parking lot, okay? Like, you, you're parking the next county over. You're parking away just to get a spot. And if, if one should open up, it is like a free-for-all. We Canadians supposed to be polite, that goes out the door in the parking lot. So I just I found that out to be true. Well, this morning, I want to take a look at uh, a story. I want to take a look at uh, two individuals who understood Christmas. And I want to talk about what they can teach us uh, this morning. Now, 
How many of you have an advent calendar? May I have an advent calendar? My daughter, uh, Fiona, texted me at the beginning of the month. She's like, Dad, we need an advent calendar. Now, here's the thing with advent calendars for kids. Uh, and I, I confess, maybe even for adults as well, too. You get an advent calendar, all you want to do is rip the thing open and eat all the chocolates right away, right? It's difficult to open those little doors and just wait, right? The advent calendar has been with us, but I don't know if some of you know the history of the advent calendar. The first advent calendar appeared in 1851. It was handmade, but it wasn't the calendar as we had it today. It was really more of a, um, of a candle. So what was interesting is that the advent calendar was start off as, as 24 candles, and they'd be in a circle, and what you would do is you would light a candle on each day of the year. Now, the metaphor behind it is that as the incarnation, as Christmas approaches, the light increases. And that's how the advent calendar uh, started up. But of course, as we know, when Laura Secord gets her whole hands on this thing, right, it, it becomes something with chocolate and, and toys. And, and that's what happened as well, is that it began to become morphed into this idea of treats and, and, and toys and all that. But I don't know if you know what the word Advent actually means. Advent has a Latin origin. It means the coming, or more accurately, coming towards. Advent is this idea of coming towards this, this moment in time where the incarnation takes place. Now, I use the word incarnation, but the, incarn- the word incarnation is a very interesting word because it comes from, it comes from uh, this idea of incarnate, to put on flesh. God decides to put on a skin suit to walk amongst us. That's what the incarnation is, and that's what Advent is teaching us. But one of the issues, though, is that we have forgotten that. Now, here's what I think you need to understand. Expectation is Christmas, One of the things we've forgotten with this whole rush towards Christmas, because Christmas Day, it's kind of disappointing. You have this idea in your mind of like, oh, this is going to be fantastic, it's going to be great. And you get there and you open your gifts. I remember growing up uh, with with me or even seeing this with my own kids, is that you open your presents and you go, is there any more? What, that's, that, that's it? There's a mountain of, of, of wrapping paper, and they're asking for more. They're asking for, is, is, is there any more, right? Christmas can be a bit of let down, let down as well, too. Like, maybe you didn't get what you wanted. And, of course, we, that's the idea of Christmas as well, getting. We didn't get what we wanted. I had this Christmas list, and I didn't get what I wanted. Therefore, now Christmas is ruined. You know, it's this whole concept we've wrapped around this idea of, of God coming to humanity, and we've totally warped it. As a matter of fact, I would say... If you were to try to create the most opposite understanding of Advent, of the Incarnation, well, the way we celebrate Christmas would be that. The rush towards the headlong. And again, the financial strain. So many people talk about how they don't know if they're going to afford Christmas presents. Well, it's easy. You don't buy them. You you, you just don't buy them. Oh, you can't do that. I was having a conversation with one of my daughters, and she's like, she's she's all stressed out. And I'm like, why are you stressed? And I'm like, well, I got to buy Christmas presents. I'm like, no, you don't. You're like 14. You don't have to buy Christmas presents. Yes, I do, because, you know, Susie so-and-so. and, and There's not many Susies anymore, but we use that as a metaphor, but you, you get the idea, right? Um, this person in my class just bought me a Christmas present, and now i got to buy it for them, and all i got is $20. I'm like, well, let's go to the dollar store. I'm like, no, you can't do that. By the way, dollar store presents are the best. Let's be honest, right? The stuff you can find in the dollar store are incredible. And everyone's just shaking their heads like, I don't want anything from the dollar store. Uh, expectation is Christmas. I love this uh, quote from John Henry Newman. He says this, we are not simply to believe, but to watch, not simply to love, but to watch, not simply to obey, but to watch, to watch for what? For the great event, Christ's coming. See, Christmas is expectation. And here's what I also want you to know. So our problem is that we think Christmas has arrived. It hasn't. It is ever 
arriving. See, we've taken December 25th, and again, for those of you who are like, oh, did, Jesus was not born on December 25th. This was a decision made uh, back in the early formation of the church that they're going to take this day, this December 25th, and, and they're going to mark it as, on the calendar as, Christ, uh, as, 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 as Jesus' birth. But we know that it did not actually happen at that time, but that doesn't matter. You've got to pick a day on the calendar, might as well be December 25th. But the thing is this. One of the problems is that we are looking forward to Christmas, but not realizing that what we are looking forward to is already taking place. And what we need to remember is that the idea of Christmas is this. It's a very simple concept, which we've kind of missed a little bit. Christmas is God reaching down to have an interaction with his creation. Therefore, if that's what Christmas is, Christmas happens every day. Christmas happens in the Garden of Eden when God walked with Adam and Eve. Christmas happens when God appears to Moses and, and, and commissions him to bring his people out. And again, not Christian Bale, but you know, this idea of, uh, of, of Moses and Christian Bale. Uh, Christmas happens when God spoke to Ezekiel. Last week we looked at Ezekiel 37, where Ezekiel was taken by spirit to see this valley of dry bones. God interacting with his creation. Christmas happens when God interacts with his creation. Christmas happened last Sunday. When over three quarters of you came forward for prayer. And, and you felt God's presence in this room. That was Christmas. That's exactly what Christmas is meant to be. Is Christmas is meant to be God's interaction with his creation. But what we've done is we've said Christmas is December 25th. And therefore I'm going to wait for Christmas. But the thing is what you're waiting for has already happened. Instead Christmas is uh, an event takes place every day. Christmas is not going to arrive. It is ever arriving. Every day Christmas has the opportunity of arriving. So of course this morning we're talking about waiting for Christmas. Now did you know and I've mentioned this before that in the in the Old Testament the New Testament there is 400 years. Talk about waiting. Between Malachi and Matthew is a 400 year silence. You think it's bad when you text somebody and they don't respond back in five minutes. Could you imagine 400 years? God has not spoken to his people in 400 years. 400 years they have not heard a prophet has not come forward and said, thus saith the Lord. And in that 400 year period of time, this, this new power called the Romans have arisen. And they have enslaved the people, the, the, the Jewish kingdom. And so they, they, they're now occupying. Israel is an occupied state by, by these Italians who, who understand military and, 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 and in a way that no one ever has up to this point in time. And so 400 years, these people are calling out to Yahweh, their creator. And they're saying, God, have you forgotten about us? God, why aren't you speaking to us? God, what have we done? Is it me? Have you broken up with us and we don't know about it? I didn't get the letter. I didn't get the text. God, where are you? 400 years, the people had to wait to hear from God. 400 years, they had to wait in expectation. And, and in, that, in that 400 year time, you know what I think they kind of felt? I think they may have felt a little bit betrayed by God. Here's this, this, this foreign nation coming in to enslave them once again. Here is this, this, this group of people coming in and, and desecrating the temple and desecrating their traditions. And they're like, God, where are you? And I think part of us as well, that when we have called out to God, when we've prayed to God, and we talked about this a little bit last week and, and the week before, we talked about how when we, we pray to God, we ask God something and nothing happens. We feel it, don't we? It's like, is it me, Lord? 
do I not have faith? Am I sinful? And of course, if you're like me, you go, of course I'm sinful. Of course I don't have enough faith. I'm human. I, I don't. And then we walk around with this burden. We walk around with this chip on our shoulder going, Lord, why? 400 years of silence for the promise of God to become fulfilled. Now, the 400 years is kind of in keeping with God's nature. I love Isaiah chapter 64, verse 1 and 2. Look at this. This is, this is my prayer sometimes to God. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. Isaiah gets it, doesn't he? Isaiah is tired of God being distant. Isaiah is like, Lord, if you would just come down, if you would just intervene, if the mountains would tremble, if you would rend the heavens. That's kind of my prayer sometimes. Lord, I'm in this situation. I've got this problem. Lord, I am, I am so lost. God, I, I just wish you would tear open the heavens and come down. Um, C.S. Lewis calls that this idea of a naked miracle. A naked miracle is this miracle that's just so miraculous that there is no doubt. I know that last Sunday, many of you came forward for prayer, and I know that you felt God speaking to you, but I also know this. Monday morning came, and the first voice in your ear is, did God really say? Did God really do? Did God really meet with you? And the doubt creeps in, and you're like, well, maybe not. Maybe it's the emotion. I don't know. Maybe it was just, maybe it was the, just, maybe it was the moment there. It was in the moment. I felt it. I was all emotional, but maybe it's gone. God's like, no, I don't do that. I don't, I don't ride with a wave of emotion. I don't ride with a wave of intellect. I, I transcend those because I am God. But Isaiah is calling out saying, Lord, where are you? Could you come down? Could you, could you rip open the heavens? And again, Isaiah kind of gets it. I like what uh, Habakkuk says in Habakkuk uh, 2 verse 1. Or Habakkuk for those of you as well. It says, I will stand at my watch and station myself at the ramparts. I will look to see and he will say to me. And what answer am I to give to this complaint? So Habakkuk, the the prophet is saying, Lord, where are you? I'm going to stand on the city walls. Remember, the city walls was a separation between the wild and civilization. I'm going to stand at those walls. I'm going to look out to the darkness. I'm going to look out to the night. And I'm going to call your name. God, are you listening? Are you responding, God? Now look at God's response in, uh, in verse 3. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. What is, what is God saying? In your darkest moments, in the time where you feel separated from God, in the moments of the messes of your life, and life is messy, God speaks to us very clearly. He says, listen, wait, be patient. The promises I've made to you, they will be fulfilled. Maybe not in your time frame, but in mine. And I just want to speak to something I've really been thinking about lately. I believe that many times God speaks to us and plants a, a, a promise in our heart. And all we do is we walk away and we turn our back on it. We say, Lord, it's impossible. And, and what we do in that is we give the devil, we give the enemy. And again, when we talk about this, and please, if you're visiting with us, I know that uh, I'm backtracking and kind of referencing some stuff. But one of the things we believe here at UCC is that church is a supernatural gathering of supernatural people. That's you. And because we are that, because we exist in that realm, what we need to understand is that God intervenes. God, God speaks to us. We believe that. We believe in the immediacy of God's presence in our lives. And it doesn't always work out the way we think it's going to work out. It doesn't always manifest. It doesn't always happen the way we think it does. But that's okay. Why? Because God is going to be proved faithful. 
One of the things I love, one of the passages of scripture I love the most is when God is faith, when we are faithless, God is faithful. And that is so true in my own life as well. Just when I think to myself, God, how could you, how can you see this happen? How can anything take place? God proves to be faithful. In the 10th century, uh, there's a, uh, a Jewish uh, rabbi, uh, Mamonides, he's, he's very well quoted. But this is what he says about the coming of the Messiah and the promise and waiting on him. Whoever does not believe in him, the Messiah, or does not await his coming, denies not only the other prophets, but the Torah and, the, and Moses, our teacher. For the Torah attests to his coming. Now, Mamonides doesn't believe that Jesus was a Messiah. So he's in the 10th century and he's looking and saying, listen, let's, let's still wait for the Messiah to come. And he's saying, and unless you believe that, that unless you believe in that, that sense of why the Messiah is not going to come, unless you have that expectation, you can't believe the Old Testament. You can't believe what he's called the Torah, the law for the Hebrews. It was a foundation of their belief system. The expectation of, of the Messiah of Christmas. So now how do we do this? I've been talking to you about waiting. I've been talking to you about the expectation of Christmas. How does that actually happen? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to look at two individuals that, um, that I believe can teach us a lot about Christmas. And I think that they have the attitude that we need to kind of foster with their own lives for Christmas. In Luke chapter 2, um, what you have has happened is that Luke chapter 1 is a preamble. And I love Luke's account of the Christmas story because what Luke does is he gives the idea of, of the angel appearing to Mary and gives us Mary's song, but also the angel appearing to Zechariah and, and, and the promise of John the Baptist as well, too. So Luke gives us a great preamble. Luke chapter 2 starts off, of course, with the birth of Jesus. But he doesn't end off there because Luke's account shows. Now, we have to remember something. Jesus and, and, and Mary and, and Joseph, they're a good Jewish family. Eight days after um, a, a male child is born, the male child is named. Remember, um, in the ancient times, they didn't name a child. When the, name, when the baby came forth, it was nameless until eight days into, uh, into its life when they, when, when they would take it to, uh, the boy child to be circumcised. They would name it, especially for the firstborn male of the family. So eight days later, they're taking uh, Jesus to the temple to name him. They tell him they're going to call him the name Jesus because the angel said, this baby's name is going to be Jesus. But when they get to the temple, they meet two individuals. And these two individuals are incredible because they are waiting for Christmas. They're waiting for the Messiah. And we're going we're to see what they have to say. In Luke chapter 2, uh, we, we see the preparation for Christmas. These two people know how to prepare for Christmas. Some of you preparing for Christmas is baking. You make fruitcake, which no one ever eats. And I think you line your houses with the bricks of them. I'm pretty sure that's what happens to fruitcake. Uh, who eats fruitcake? Anyways, um, some of you is baking, some of you is it's, it's, it's figuring out the plans and all that kind of stuff. So traveling, some of you have different families to go to, right? But the preparation for Christmas, Simeon and Anna teach us the preparation for Christmas. In Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 26, look what it says. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. Don't even get me about the Holy Spirit. Start with the Holy Spirit and, and life of Jesus. That. You know, you're lucky I'm not going off on that tangent because that'd be so cool. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. We don't know much about Simeon, and this is the first time that we hear about him in scriptures. But what's interesting is God spoke a promise to Simeon. We don't know when God spoke that promise to him, but we do know this, that God spoke a promise and Simeon believed it. God said to Simeon, Simeon, 
You are praying for the Messiah. You will see it. Now, Simeon's old. We know that. I wonder if Simeon's like, today, God? Today? Now? I, I wonder if Simeon's like, Lord, I don't know if you noticed this, but I'm, I'm getting a little older. And uh, I don't know how much more time I have. I wonder if Simeon began to doubt a little bit as well, too. Like, Lord, did you really make that promise to me? Is this really going to happen in my lifetime? So it had been revealed to him that he would, not, he would see the Lord's Messiah. But apparently Simeon took God at his word. We also meet somebody else there, Anna. And the Bible calls her a prophet. There is also prophet Anna, the daughter of Peniel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Two individuals who have created space. When I talk about preparing for Christmas, what I think these two individuals teach us is that in order to prepare for Christmas, you must wait for Christmas. You must have that space in your life. How many of us don't even have space to kind of to, to read the Christmas story once again or to have a time of prayer or devotion or to have that conversation like, Lord, I am, I'm, I'm waiting for Christmas. I am waiting for your Messiah. Simeon and Anna both had created space in their life. They both were older, but we know that this was a discipline in their lives. And Anna, she never left. She never left the temple. And you're like, okay, that's it. I'm staying in the princess for now until... No, you don't want to do that either, right? Although with comfortable chairs. But they created space for Christmas. They were preparing for the Messiah. And one of the things I think we need to make sure we remember is that we have to prepare. We have to create that space. In the craziness of Christmas, and I know, I know that Christmas is crazy. There has to be a silence. There has to be a turning of our hearts and our minds to this idea of God walking amongst us and saying, Lord, what does this look like? God, thank you that you sent your son Thank you that you came to walk amongst us. We rejected you. We turned our backs to you. But you still saw us in our need and you sent your son to us. So the second thing I think we need to do for Christmas is we got to be present for Christmas. Now look at this, right? In verse 27, we see that Simeon was present. Moved by the spirit, he went into the temple courts. Come on. What's the Holy Spirit's job again? He wants to draw us to Jesus. He wants to create Christ-likeness in us. Christmas can only be celebrated with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God is drawing Simeon to Jesus. The Holy Spirit says to Simeon, Simeon, today, go to the temple. Now, I don't know about you, but if it was me, I'd be like, Lord, I'd love to, but I'm a little busy. Can you just hold off a second? I'm a little busy. I got to run to get this. And I heard that this story, I got that thing I've been looking for in it. And I got to go there. And I got to do this. And I got, like, Lord, I don't have time. Right? Spirit of God comes to Simeon and says, Simeon, today, the promise I've made to you is now going to be fulfilled. Get to the temple. Simeon is present for Jesus' part there. And then there's Anna. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Anna was staying there, just waiting for what God wanted for her. And can you imagine this woman who, who is living in the temple court, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the Jewish synagogue, there's a place called the women's court where women were allowed and she's there. And people coming day and night seeing her like, like, like that woman's a saint, literally. There's a woman's a saint. She never leaves. 
her, her, her vocation. Now, here's what you need to understand, right? The Bible tells us that Anna's husband died seven years after they were married. Anna would probably be married around 14, 15, which means that her husband would have passed away between 21, 22, which meant that she spent 50 plus years every day at the temple. That's devotion. That's space. That, that she was always there waiting for God. Now, that's what she was called to. Not, we're not called to that, but that's what she was called to. But she was called to it because God said to her, just, just stay here. And in that moment, she was present for the Messiah. And the third part, I think, for Christmas is, and this is the one that kind of freaks us out a little bit, we need to proclaim Christmas. So, Simeon and Anna, they, 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 are, they are making space for Christmas. They are present when Jesus is there. But they're not satisfied just to witness the Messiah, this, this great thousand-year-old promise. Look, look what they said. Simeon's, uh, Simeon says this in verse 29 and 32. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon got it. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. Remember what we said? God's promises always promised are always true. And Simeon's like, finally, finally, Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Simeon's like, you know what, Lord? I'm good. This is the greatest moment of my life to see your Messiah, to see your son come to us. You can take me now because everything I've ever wanted to do in my life is now fulfilled in this moment for my eyes have seen your salvation which you prepared in sight of all the nations and i love what simeon simeon recognizes that this christmas moment was not just for the jews it was not just for the hebrews he says a light for the revelation of the gentiles and a glory for the people of israel simeon got this idea that jesus was not just simply for a select few but jesus was going to was going to spread the gospel to everyone to everyone that would have an opportunity to come to him. And look at, of course, Anna's response in verse 38. Anna's there, right? And Simeon is, is like this, this old prophet is, is so excited. And Anna being, is led over there as well too. And look what Anna says. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Imagine this conversation. Anna's at the temple. She's worshiping. People know her. And Anna says to by the way, remember that conversation we had about the Messiah? And you said to me, will it ever happen? Today it happened. Everyone she meets. But now, not just everyone. Look what it says there. It spoke to, about the child to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Do you think Anna's going to have a conversation with somebody who doesn't care? Oh, by the way, the Messiah. I don't care. I'm not waiting for that. There's, no, there's, no, there's nothing in my life that's waiting for that. But Anna goes out and speaks to people who are waiting for this as well too. She gathers like-minded people who are creating that space in their life for God. Christmas is God reaching down to us. But Christmas happens every day. Christmas happens whenever we feel God's presence, whenever we pray, whenever we take that moment out of our day to create the space. And please hear me on this. One of the, on your bulletin in the front there, it says Uptown Community Church. And the bottom, it has a little quote there. And the quote says intentional faith. 
we've used that as our tagline. And for some of you who were there in the early days at our barbecues in Brian's backyard, you'll remember us talking about this. Intentional faith for us means this. That we, it, we must intend to become what we're going to become. We think sometimes... That just being haphazard, being random, like, oh, God will do something. I'm sure he'll do something and it'll be fine. But instead, what we do, we have to create space for God in our lives. We need to empty ourselves. We need to remove things in our lives for God. Because if we do not, we overlook and we will miss what God's doing. Intentional faith is this idea of saying, God, I'm going to create space. I'm going to create a place in my life for you. And all this other stuff that crowds in all the time. I'm going to carve out viciously sometimes space that you can speak to me. Space that I'm going to read your word. Space that I'm going to be in community. Space that I'm going to grow in my faith. That's intentional faith. But I almost felt like I should take that phrase out and put intentional Christmas. Because we have to remember that we must intend to celebrate the Christ Mass, the, this, this Christmas season. And not just December 25th, but every day. Because every day, God is looking to intervene in our lives. He's looking to speak to us. And again, just like Anna knew, she's speaking to people who are awaiting God. And when you find people who are, 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 are having that conversation with you, it's a totally different conversation. Let me close this morning with the final Christmas. I love how the Bible, if you ever get a chance to read through the Bible or, or, or do this in, in the new year, we're going to kind of walk through a little bit about how to read the Bible and kind of figure all that kind of stuff out. The Bible opens up with a creation account. The creation account is God walking with Adam and Eve, the first Christmas. But the Bible ends off with the final Christmas. And it's Revelations 21, verse uh, 3 to 4. It says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. See, what you need to understand about the Bible, whatever you think about the Bible, whatever it is that you think about God, what God is longing for, what God is looking for, is a relationship with his creation. He starts off all of creation with this intimate, uh, intimate relationship with Adam and Eve. All of creation, all of time, including today and including tomorrow, if, if, if it would be, all of creation is about God reaching out to humanity and trying to be in relationship and calling out to people, calling out to his creation. That's us. At the end of time, God is going to declare once and, once and for all, now, you no longer have to wonder if God's going to be here. You no longer have to wonder if God actually listens because he's going to be right there. I have a sermon I'm working on for January 11th. It's called, Why I Think Jesus is Going to Return in 2015. You'll want to come up for that. But one of the things we need to understand is, God's intent, his intent through all of creation, throughout the entire Bible, the intent in, his, in your life right now, is that Christmas would come. Not the 25th, but right now. Tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. And whatever, how many days you have on this earth, I don't know how, many, how long you have on this planet, but Christmas is God reaching down to us. Christmas is God's intervention, His divine intervention in our lives. And because of that, Christmas does not have to happen on the 25th, but it happens right now. 
It happened last Sunday, incredible way. And my prayer is that it happens on Monday. It happens when we meet as a city groups throughout the week. It happens when we come together in a community. It happens when we open our Bibles and we pray and we invite the Holy Spirit. It happens when the Spirit of God is creating space in our lives. We talk with the Holy Spirit. For the last five weeks, all we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God wants to draw you towards Christmas. He wants to show you that God wants to intervene in your life right now. Not five minutes from now. And the cool thing about Christmas, the cool thing about God, it doesn't matter how far you've wandered away. It doesn't matter how many bad decisions you've made with your life. You get to stand before God saying, Lord, I confess my sins to you. I confess the brokenness of my life and I invite you. I ask that you intervene in my life once again. My circumstances may not change, but my internal life will change. That's what God wants. Let's pray. I do this every week and uh, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed... I'm not going to make you do anything to embarrass you, but I do want to give you an opportunity. We've been talking about waiting for Christmas. So obviously, I need to give you a few seconds, a few moments this morning to say, God, I have not been waiting for you. I have not been waiting for you. But Lord, in this moment, I wait for you. God, Christmas isn't December 25th. It is the 21st, the 22nd, the 23rd, the 24th, the 25th, the 26th, the 27th, and so on. Christmas is not one time of the year. It is every moment that I open myself up to God. And my prayer this morning for each of you is that you would experience Christmas right now. That you would experience the divine intervention of who God is and what he wants for your life. Because that's all he wants for you. He loves you so passionately. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to walk amongst us over 2,000 years ago. But Lord, forgive us when we forget that the event that we are celebrating on the 25th happened thousands of years ago. Therefore, every day is Christmas. Every day, I pray that we, your people, would live in expectation that we would invite Christmas, invite your presence in our lives daily. And I pray, God, for those this morning especially who perhaps feel distant from you, who feel far from you. They feel that their decisions have made a relationship with you impossible. I pray, God, that you would break through that lie, because that's what it is. And, Lord, that they would experience Christmas right now. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd speak to the hearts and minds of each person here. You'd awaken us to the reality of your intimacy with us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.